This is the daily lectionary comments for June the 21st. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, and John chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Proverbs 24. I want to begin by looking at uh, the proverb that begins at verse 10. And this is talking about courage. Now, physical courage that fails you when the bullets begin to fly or when danger arises is not really courage at all. And the same thing can be said for moral courage, to know what you should do, to be very passionate about what you should do. Doesn't matter if when push comes to shove and when then there's any danger arising for doing the right thing, you fail to do the right thing. So that's what's meant by verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's talking about moral courage here, not physical strength. And it envisions in the verses that are coming along that a situation has arisen, a wrong that needs to be righted. The problem is the righting of that wrong will bring a certain danger and risk to the person who must right the wrong. And so it appears by these verses that a person might, in that instance, just kind of look the other way and just not see what they really saw and not know what they really knew. And so not only do they fail when, when the rubber hit the road, so to speak, to do the right thing, even though they knew the right thing to do, they failed, their strength was small. But on top of that, they added to it this, they make excuses. They say, well, behold, we did not know this. We didn't realize, my heart did not perceive it. But we are warned here, God knows whether you saw, God knows whether you knew, and he will judge you according to what you actually did, not according to what you can get away with. So there is an encouragement to all of God's people here to recognize that holding fast to the truth brings with it a certain risk, a certain risk that actually standing for that truth may cost us. And in that hour, if we're not prepared to do it, then frankly, our, our courage and our strength is small. All right, so that is uh, one, one proverb here. Then there are several other proverbs that all deal with a similar idea, and that is the fate of the unrighteous. Look at verse 15. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked will stumble in times of calamity. So the wicked have a time of calamity coming to them. Look at verse 19. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So same idea. Don't be envious of them. Don't do what they do. Their end is disastrous. By the way, look at the entirety of Psalm 37 on that theme. Verse 21. My son... Fear the Lord and the King. Do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster from them will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin that will come from them both. In other words, ruin is going to come to those who oppose God and oppose those in authority. They're going to come from God. They're going to come from those in authority. And who knows when that will happen. Do not join with them. Same theme. Again, disaster awaits the unrighteous. Disaster awaits those who oppose God and oppose 
God's agents here on earth. But look at verse 17. This gives a little bit different, uh, uh, a little bit different way of looking at the same situation. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. So on the one hand, we know that our enemies, that is God's enemies, who should be our enemies too, are going to suffer calamity. Do not rejoice when that happens and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased. So, I mean, the thing is, on the one hand, we know that the wicked will come to ruin if they don't repent. But we are not happy about that, not in the least bit. But we pray for them and we hope that they turn from their ways so that the calamity which is promised over and over again in Scripture actually never comes to them. Okay, yesterday's devotion, we had uh, the discussion between Pilate and Jesus, and the question is, are you the king of the Jews? Now we're taking up chapter 19 of John, and uh, that's, that question, as far as Pilate's concerned, has been settled. Jesus is not a king in any sense that the Pilate means king, and is of no concern to Pilate. And so from this time on in the narrative, the expression king of the Jews is going to be used over and over and over and over again, but always in a mocking and kind of derisive way, except the very last time, and we'll take a look at that. I also want you to note that that um, Pilate says uh, in verse 4 and in verse 6, he says, quote, I find no guilt in him. He said the very same thing yesterday's in yesterday's devotion. Uh, in, in verse 38, I find no guilt in him. Three times Pilate proclaimed Jesus as not being guilty of what he was accused of. All right, so this business about Jesus and the king, well, he's not a king in any earthly sense. So as I said, this expression is going to continue to be used, but in a mocking way. You will note that Jesus is crowned uh, with uh, thorns and a purple robe is put on him and then all the soldiers bow down before him. This is after he's been flogged, a brutal process, which by itself often killed the victim uh, even before they could be crucified. Uh, so they bow down, these soldiers mocking Jesus, and they say, Hail, Hail, King of the Jews. Um, so uh, again, King of the Jews keeps coming up, but now uh, in a mocking and derisive way, the Jews say, you, you say you're a king. We laugh at that. You're no king in any normal sense of that word. Um, Pilate brings Jesus out and he says, what do you want me to do with this Jesus? Uh, shall, and, and they say, uh, and he says these uh, famous words, behold, you're king. Now, of course, Jesus, Pilate is being derisive here. You're the one that says he said he's a king. This is ridiculous, but okay, here's the guy you said. He's your king. Um, behold, your king. And they cried out, well, away with him. And, G and, and Pilate says again, mocking and incredulous, shall I crucify your king? Again, there's sarcasm in that. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Now, that is a theologically rich statement. All of these things actually are theologically very rich. We have no king but Caesar. The fact of the matter is, the Jews have decided that they will not be ruled by God's designated Messiah, the Christ. They do not wish to be encumbered by him, and they're about to do, as what Jesus told them in the parable, take the son out and kill him and take the vineyard for themselves. 
we have, we will not have God for our king. That's what they're really saying. Now, after this, uh, Pilate puts, uh, and, and Jesus is put on the cross. There's, there's a notice above Jesus' head that's uh, a little poster so that people could see what he's being accused of. So when people pass by and see this guy being crucified, they can see the crime that he did and be warned not to do a similar thing themselves. And he wrote uh, on this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It was written in several different languages so that nobody could miss the point. And uh, so he says that. And the chief priest, verse 21, says, they came to him and they said, do not write the King of the Jews, but write, he said he was the King of the Jews. And that's when Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Now, the interesting thing on that uh, is, you know, Pilate was probably just thumbing his nose at him. You're the one that brought him to me. You're the one that says that he, he's a threat to me. You're the one that says I should do something about this because he's the king of the Jews. I told you three times I find no guilt in him, but you insist that I do this. So uh, what I have written, I have written. But we also see in good John fashion that Pilate is being something of a prophet here, and he is stating the truth. What is truth, Pilate had earlier said? Well, now Pilate himself is uttering it. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. No truer thing has ever been said. You have a little discussion also earlier about authority. And Pilate says, you know, don't you realize, he says to Jesus, that I have authority to have you crucified? Jesus, of course, says, you have no authority over me except what has been delivered by, to you by God. And so it is always with the secular powers of this world. They think they have authority. But the only authority they really have is what God gives them and God allows them to use. And God is finally at work to work all things in all nations. It's really always in God's hands and never in the hands of the authorities that think they wield it.